And welcome to the first edition of In Season Stack Hunters. I'm Bradley Stalder. You can follow me on Twitter at FFStalder. Guys, we're underway. We're into week two already. This has been great. We've got some awesome data that we're going to jump into. We're going to talk about some players that have been crushing for week one and what their outlook is going to look like. And then also some stacks that I expect to bounce back after a rough week one. So we're going to get to all of that and more on this episode of Stack Hunters, which is brought to you by Mojo. So make sure you guys are checking out Mojo. Use promo code UNDERWORLD. Check them out. They're great. Lots of fun. Had by all. Here we go. Okay, looks like it's out. Uh, There we go. All right, we're back with Stack Hunters. I'm Bradley Stalder, and this is a best ball podcast. And many of you have entered into best ball leagues, best ball drafts over the summer. In fact, I did a bunch on FFPC, our our partners, our friends at FFPC. If you use promo code UNDERWORLD on the FFPC, you can join Dynasty Leagues. You can do the best ball leagues. Uh, They've got specialty leagues as well. Uh, They sponsor our pros versus joes uh, that billy muzio and myself and a few others have joined in on and that's been a lot of fun for what it's worth both billy and i are in the top 10 of that entire tournament for the uh for week one which is really exciting my we'll take an aside for a second i'll talk about my team that is currently second in the ffpc's pros versus joes tournament it's uh there's some good and then there's some bad about it uh, the first is I crushed with Tyreek Hill, right? Tyreek Hill was a smash first round pick. We should have known that Hill, of course, was uh, the number one wide receiver in terms of fantasy points, scored over 200 yards receiving, and Tyreek Hill also had two touchdowns. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, okay, well, this is good, but what about Jalen Waddle? Jalen Waddle was fine enough, but he's dealing with injuries right now. He's back on the injury report. He's questionable. He's probably still going to play. I think he's still going to be just fine. But Tyreek Hill in round one, uh, Jefferson did fine this week. Cup didn't play. Stephon Diggs was okay. CD Lamb busted. AJ Brown was like top 25 or so. Amon Ra was okay. And those are pretty much the wide receivers who are going in round one. And of them, not only did Tyreek Hill hit, but he hit massively. And what we knew what was going to be a shootout was the Chargers versus the Miami Dolphins. And I have a feeling the Dolphins are going to be in a lot of these types of shootouts, which is why I was targeting a lot of Tyreek Hill in the beginning of the season. And then uh, or in the offseason, you wanted these shootout type of games, and Tyreek Hill has the ceiling. He's historically hit these massive ceilings if we look at the rate at which he achieves top five weeks like he just achieved one this past week the rb the wide receiver one overall tyreek hill was absolutely crushing for you so it was also a great pick because you were not spending an expensive draft pick on tua 
to stack. Like you were able to get to a mid to back end of the eighth round. And that's where I got him in my FFPC pros versus Joe's draft. I was able to stack Tyreek Hill with Tua. They combined for over 70 fantasy points. And when you've got 70 fantasy points, this is exactly what we talked about theory wise in the off season. You want players to not only crush, but crush together. And then it allows you to consolidate. You don't have to worry about as many other positions. Like I've got my wide receiver one lockdown and I've got my quarterback one lockdown. I mean, maybe actually, because my other quarterback in the FFPC pros versus Joe's league was Anthony Richardson and Richardson finished as a top four quarterback this week with the passing touchdown, rushing touchdown. He completed over 60% of his passes, which is just fine. Like Richardson played just fine against a Jaguars defense. That was a little more susceptible to the past than we anticipated. So that was that was interesting to me because Michael Pittman had one of his best games of his career in game one of Anthony Richardson. And Michael Pittman was going back in around nine, beginning of round 10, or back end of round six, I'm sorry, be end of beginning of round seven. So Pittman was a player that I was down on. I didn't think would be very good and and I was concerned about the Anthony Richardson passing. But if he if Anthony Richardson is just good enough and Jonathan Taylor is out, the offense is probably going to funnel through Michael Pittman without any of the tight ends really doing much. Kylan Granson seems to be the tight end that you want in this offense, although we'll get to tight ends in a few minutes. If we're picking anyone from this Colts offense, it's Michael Pittman, and and he was pretty cheap. I mean, he was going in the same realm as Marquise Brown, right? He was going in the same realm as Jackson Smith and Jigba and Mike Evans, also players who played well, enough in week one but michael pittman was a big surprise given that pittman finished where he did you know as uh, a top 10 wide receiver for the week so we maybe i was underestimating how much michael pittman was going to be not just involved but effective given the concerns i had for anthony richardson but that's a narrative i think that shifted for me Like, I think Anthony Richardson started to shift the narrative on whether he can sustain Michael Pittman as a fancy relevant wide receiver. I think I was wrong in week one. And and that's part of, you know, waking up to the speculation. Like we, we have our takes in the off season and, and I'm pretty quick to say Michael Pittman crushed. And I think that there's enough to sustain Michael Pittman moving forward as, as a wide receiver too, based on game script. So That's very interesting. Okay, so let's take a look at a few other players uh, that might have shifted our minds here, right? I already hit on Tyreek Hill because I drafted him in the pros versus Joes uh, draft, but then come back around later and Zay Flowers is crushing, right? Zay Flowers, you were able to get wide receiver Zay Flowers in round 10 and Zay flowers had 11 touches in this game. Zay flowers had nearly 90 yards, 78 receiving yards, nine rushing yards, clearly invested in this team. And he was cheap. The, the question with the stacks of who's going to fit with Lamar Jackson 
is was is a Rashad Bateman who has the first round pedigree, but the injury history and being pulled off of uh, off of the field. Is it Odell Beckham coming off of a massive ACL tear that cost him over a year? Or is it the first round rookie who has the, the twitch? You know, a lot of offseason comps were made of Zay Flowers to Antonio Brown. And I don't know if I can quite get there, but Zay Flowers is certainly a player that you were able to get pretty cheap in your fantasy drafts. He was going around Cortland Sutton and around Jamison Williams and, and I mean, behind Rashad Bateman for most of the offseason. So Zay Flowers is a player that has been had paid off already. You know, his 10th, 11th round ADP that you were getting him at in the FFPC. So for him to sustain as a wide receiver too moving forward, even with Mark Andrews out, I know Mark Andrews was out, but if Zay Flowers can still get a 25 plus percent target share in this offense with the Odell Beckham and Rashad Bateman wide receivers running routes. Yes, Zay Flowers is going to be a player that you want to be putting in your starting lineups as a flex play in 10 in 10 team leagues and consider him as a wide receiver, low end wide receiver two slash high end wide receiver three moving forward. Definitely a start consideration pretty much every week until we see otherwise until our opinions shift on Zay Flowers. We need to be putting him in our starting lineups. He needs to prove that he doesn't deserve to be there anymore. Um, but for your best ball leagues, right, he's already paying off. So there we go. Uh, let's see. Tyreek Hill in round one. We're looking at Devontae Adams played okay in round two, but we have to fast forward all the way to round four, Calvin Ridley. Now, Calvin Ridley was getting steamed up, you know, all the way into round two by the end of the summer. But round four, Calvin Ridley at the end of July was an absolutely crushing value. He's been putting up wide receiver one, mid-pack wide receiver one efficiency numbers and metrics, um, air yard share, target share, snap share. All of that was shown in the preseason, which confirmed what we thought he would be and it confirmed that what he was doing in Atlanta prior to the injury and prior to the, the betting scandal and the mental health issues and all of that, Calvin Ridley confirmed for us what we thought he was back in Atlanta, which is a target earner, the number one guy. He had over 100 yards and a touchdown in this game, and he led the team in targets. Calvin Ridley is going to be a beast and he's going to continue to feast in an ascending Jaguars offense. Now you can have, I'm Matt Kelly has shared his opinions about how he thinks Trevor Lawrence is a fake alpha quarterback. And maybe that's just him, you know, continuing to project Calvin Ridley is also being a fake alpha, but you can't argue with a 25 plus percent target share median target share. He's earning these downfield targets and used in the red zone. You can't argue with it. And so round four, where Calvin Ridley went in the FFPC drafts the majority of the summer, that's an absolute smash. And so for Trevor Lawrence to go round five, round six, etc., you're probably able to easily stack Calvin Ridley, even though he was a pretty popular stack. It's definitely worth it, given the problems that we were having in the wide receiver 
room early in the draft. So like Cooper Cup, obviously busting in round one for week one. Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson. We got to take a moment and talk about Garrett Wilson before we move on to uh, the other stacks. Garrett Wilson was supposed to be stacked with Aaron Rodgers, right? Uh, But looking at after the Aaron Rodgers injury, it's clear that something is just not going to be the same. The Jets are not going to be the same team. Rodgers is known for his efficiency. And Zach Wilson was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL last year. This is a big deal for Garrett Wilson because Garrett Wilson moves from a back-end wide receiver one potential to mid-pack wide receiver three. We're talking about wide receiver 30 or so, and here's why. Garrett Wilson, nine games last year with Zach Wilson. During those nine games, Zach Wilson had the worst PFF pass grade he had a 54% completion percentage. Zach Wilson had a six to seven touchdown to interception ratio. Zach Wilson had the highest turnover worthy play percentage among qualified quarterbacks during that nine game span. And Garrett Wilson during that time, 31st in receiving yards among wide receivers, 32nd in receiving in receptions overall, zero touchdowns. And he, this is Garrett Wilson again, was 30th in yards per route run. This is these are just clear indicators that Zach Wilson uh, Zach Wilson will be limiting Garrett Wilson to a mid-pack wide receiver 3 moving forward and there's not really much we can do about it. So round 2 Garrett Wilson shares are kind of stuck right now. They're kind of in the dirt. And we've we've got to have concerns about how Garrett Wilson may only be probably a flex play for us, maybe a low-end wide receiver too in our best ball moving forward. So unfortunately, we're getting immediate feedback that Garrett Wilson is not going to pay off ADP. We're going to hope that other players that you drafted later on are going to be the answers to your problems. But maybe you took Garrett Wilson and then later on, you took Brandon Ayuk uh, in round five. Brandon Ayuk was going at the end of round five, sometimes in round six. And Ayuk finished as well. If it wasn't for if it wasn't for Tyreek Hill, Brandon Ayuk would have been the wide receiver one overall. But uh, Ayuk, at least in the one o'clock slates, slate uh, Ayuk, one hundred twenty nine yards, two touchdowns. He caught all eight of his targets and finishes the wide receiver two. You were able to get him in round five. We knew he had some spike week potential, but his floor is also a lot more dangerous given the existence of Debo Samuel, given the existence of George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey, all players who were going in like the first five rounds of of your fantasy drafts. So you were having elite players on the same team in that spot. So Brandon Ayuk in round five is, is a player who probably can make up for some of that Garrett Wilson upside. And maybe Garrett Wilson just falls back into the floor play. Given the Aaron Rodgers Achilles situation and Zach Wilson situation. So Brandon Ayuk might be the answer to your prayers. If he continues to get six, seven, eight plus targets in the game, and he's able to convert the existence of Brock Purdy in the San Francisco offense is a good thing. The offense is able to to move. Uh, yes, Pittsburgh 
put Purdy under pressure, but I don't think that's going to stay the same. I don't think that's going to maintain the rest of the way. I think Purdy is going to get a lot of uh, room to throw moving forward. And I mean, even in week two, the San Francisco 49ers take on the LA Rams and you're thinking, okay, what kind of upside can they have? This could be a shootout game. Once again, the Rams played valiantly in week one against Geno Smith, but we're going to, Go to week two where you got to turn over the game plan really quickly. And the most skilled defensive player for the Rams is Aaron Donald. And then it's a huge drop off. So I think that the San Francisco 49ers are in a really good position again to try to strike at the LA Rams. And Brandon Ayuk could very well again finish in that wide receiver one category for week two. As I said, he caught all eight of his passes for over 120 yards, and he caught the two touchdowns. He looked really good, and he looks the part. Uh, Debo Samuel played just fine, but it's clear that Brandon Ayuk was the alpha in this offense, and Debo was, was the next man up. He was the next man up in the receiving game. Okay, or maybe, you know, you may have gone with Brandon Ayuk, or even later, a player that I was touting and saying, hey, you should consider drafting this player because he's going three or four rounds too late, and that's Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers ended up going in about round 11 or 12 of your best ball drafts, and I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo got the ball to him. He got the ball to Devontae Adams, and to our beloved Jacoby Myers. Myers, I was saying, was should have been an eighth-round pick, a seventh-round pick. And he finishes as the wide receiver three. And it could have been a bigger day. If you remember, Jacoby Myers left this game with a concussion. And uh, 81 yards, two touchdowns, caught all nine passes, finishing as the wide receiver three on the week, only behind Ayuk and Tyreek Hill. And you were able to get Jacoby Myers in round 12. Myers wasn't known to be a spike week guy, like a high floor player who would be able to get you a flex outing maybe 35 percent of the time but for him to strike for 29 ppr fantasy points in week one that bodes well that bodes well there's no darren waller in this offense it's just Devonte adams a very consolidated target share and we know jacoby myers has historically commanded between 22 and 25 percent target share week to week so if jacoby continues to get the ball and and this is even more key. I was looking at where the snaps were occurring for Jacoby Myers. It's very interesting because Myers last year played the majority in the slot. And you're thinking to yourself, but Bradley, like he's he wasn't playing in the slot. You're right. Jacoby Myers in this game played nearly 90% out wide. 88.9% of his pass snaps were out wide. That is a difference a significant shift. And if Jimmy Garoppolo is able to accurately get Jacoby Myers, the ball on the outside, we're talking big plays. We're talking Jacoby Myers can come down with it. Once again, the touchdowns can be there. So we can see a touchdown regression on the career for Jacoby Myers here in Vegas. We've already seen two of them. I don't think he'll continue to do that, you know, in week two, continue that outrageous touchdown uh, touchdown scoring, but it's encouraging to see Myers take on a different role. 
it's encouraging because in New England, it was simply not the case. Myers was playing between 60 and 70% of his slot snaps every season over the last four years in New England in the slot. Instead, Myers is moving to the outside. This is a meaningful shift in usage because it means more fantasy points. You can't get as many fantasy points in the slot in a bad offense, but you can get some more fantasy points if you've got, um, if you're playing on the outside a lot more. Yeah, 3.38 yards per route run in that first game for Jacoby Myers. Yeah, we, we really like that. Okay, so nevertheless, Jacoby Myers could be an answer to some of your prayers of, especially if you drafted the Cooper Cups and Garrett Wilsons of the world, um, or even if you got gypped on T. Higgins or Jerry Judy in round three or round four, right? To remember, T. Higgins, absolute zero. This is wild stuff. Round three, T. Higgins decimated you, and so did Joe Burrow in round four. We'll talk about Joe Burrow in a little bit. T. Higgins, though, no receptions, eight targets, obviously no fantasy points. If you go, if you don't catch the ball, it's just devastating for us. And it's clear that Joe Burrow's injury is affecting not only T. Higgins, but also Jamar Chase. Now, a little bit is is it was just the perfect storm for T. Higgins. It was bad weather. Joe Burrow was unhealthy in the Cleveland defense. You have to give credit to the Cleveland defense. There were a couple passes that were just knocked out of T Higgins hands. There's nothing really he could do. There's nothing really he could do. So T Higgins is a player. I do expect to bounce back, but it's also an, I told you so player. Like this was a player that I had concerns about his ceiling. 0% top five rate last year. You'd expect on the Cincinnati Bengals that T Higgins would have, one blow up week, one week where you say, Oh, he can do it. No, 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 no. T Higgins was not able to do it and was a bad round three pick because he didn't access the upside that we wanted for a player that you're drafting as the, the wide receiver 12 or wide receiver 13 or, or wherever he went in this draft wide receiver 15. Even if you're drafting him as a high end wide receiver too, you need him to be able to dip into a couple of those elite elite ceiling games. It's just not the case. It's not the case, which is why I preferred Calvin Ridley over T Higgins. It's why I preferred, you know, even though Christian Watson didn't play, we saw Watson access elite ceiling games T. Higgins didn't have that pathway, especially with Jamar Chase. Now, you're saying, but Bradley, he's the ultimate wide receiver handcuff. And he might be, but the evidence wasn't there last year. T. Higgins did not play at mid to high end wide receiver one level when Jamar Chase was out last year. Like the, the best that he did was like mid to low end wide receiver one. And that's not going to get it done when you're drafting him to be a winner for you. So yeah, in these best ball leagues, you have to shift your perspective from what is this, what is this player's week to week consistency? Cause T Higgins is usually a pretty consistent play week to week. You're going to get 12 to 15 fantasy points from him. But the problem is did because of Jamar chase, and because of T. Higgins' profile, all of those factors combined with 
T. Higgins just can't access a ceiling. And then we just saw what the floor could be uh, with bad weather, good defense, and an injured Joe Burrow. T. Higgins finds ways to zero on you, which is why I view him a lot like Devonta Smith. You can have some spike week games. I think Devonta Smith's ceiling is a little bit higher than T. Higgins based on the data that we've seen over the last couple seasons from Smith and Higgins. But T. Higgins going 0 for 8, obviously he's not going to do that again. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't already be thinking, okay, for next year, I need to be viewing players like T. Higgins a little bit differently. Because yes, I do want wide receivers who are going to be able to access spike weeks and who are able to get into my top 10 or whatever. But you're also wanting to take shots on players who, if all things break right, can be in a top five scenario week to week. And, and T Higgins very seldom does that and almost, and didn't do it at all last year, despite the Jamar chase injuries. So this was a player that I feel validated about in fading a lot in my best ball drafts. And it feels good right off the bat. You're like, Oh yeah, I have like 3% exposure, 5% exposure to T Higgins. Oh, this feels so good. But you know, this is a long season. Of course, things, you know, variants can happen. Maybe he has one big spike week here or there, but we want to look at a, what a player has done in their ranges of outcomes. And based on the data that we saw from 2022, T. Higgins did not have that elite ceiling possibility in his ranges of outcomes. And if you don't have an elite ceiling wide receiver, we're talking top five week, a top five finishing weeks in your ranges of outcomes. He needs to be bumped down the list a little bit in favor of running backs in round three or so who can access elite top five weeks. So for instance, you know, we're talking like Josh Jacobs. This is why Josh Jacobs should have been going ahead of T Higgins. Josh Jacobs has running back five in his range of outcomes week to week. Every time that he's healthy T Higgins, however, on the other hand does not have that. So I feel like I'm railing a little bit on T Higgins, but it's, this is important for us to realize that a player's ranges of outcomes, especially when it's best ball. So we're only concerned about a certain portion of that player's you know, bell curve. We're only looking at whatever percentage can qualify for us in teams that matter. And T Higgins did not have what we wanted for, uh, for success. And, and I feel validated. Thanks. Thanks, T. Higgins, for validating me in, in probably your worst game of your career. Okay. Nevertheless, we, we expect better days ahead for T. Higgins. It's not going to be zero for eight on for zero yards and zero touchdowns. But we also have to be wary of the ceiling limitations that Higgins had showed us in the past and why we should be tempering expectations into 2024 unless T. Higgins you know, finds his way onto another team. Okay, uh, let's keep her, keep looking at a few other plays that are really interesting to me. Um, we think that there's going to be bounce backs for our tight ends. And I think that's going to be the case. But with regard to all tight ends everywhere, <laughs> the, the very, very interesting thing is that, yeah, stacks that disappointed, all tight ends pretty much. Let me give you an example. You, in FFPC, TJ Hawkinson went in about round three. Maybe he fell to early round four. But in round three, T. 
TJ Hawkinson was the tight end three this past week and full PPR. TJ Hawkinson, eight receptions, 30, I lose 34 yards. Eight receptions, 34 yards. What? 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 Why? He's the tight end three. No touchdowns. 35 yards. Eight receptions, 35 yards, nine targets. We love the targets. We love the target share. But TJ Hawkinson as the tight end three, this is how miserable the tight end position was, right? Kelsey was out. And in FFPC, you typically drafted Travis Kelsey as the 101, 102, 103. Kelsey usually went in the first three picks. So teams with Kelsey are down bad to start because usually you would go Kelsey and then maybe one other tight end or maybe two tight ends in FFPC, tight end premium leagues. Just depends on how you want to structure your team. But typically you were not tight end heavy if you had Travis Kelsey. And even if you were, there weren't very many hits this past year or past week. So Kelsey in round one disappointed. Mark Andrews disappointed in round two. TJ Hawkinson was the tight end three on eight for 35. Not paying off the ADP that you spent, the draft capital that you spent on TJ Hawkinson. This is why before even week one, I said people were asking me in the chat, oh, who's your one of your most overrated players? And I said it's it's TJ Hawkinson because if he even if he pays off tight end three value and he is your tight end three, is it going to make a difference? And we just saw in a microcosmic example that TJ Hawkinson finished among tight ends among the top three, but it didn't make a significant shift in your fantasy leagues. Like what? It gives you a couple point extras in the tight end position, positional advantage over others. No, it's, but it's not what you drafted him for. You drafted him for a massive ceiling. And even though he's the tight end three, it didn't pay off. Now we will see how it moves forward, but we like what we saw from Jordan Addison in week one. Addison had a bunch of targets, two red zone targets in particular, scored a touchdown, and that's just in week one. We expect that the volume will continue to increase. Kirk Cousins will not be as bad as he was in week one against Tampa. That was a wild game, by the way. Justin Jefferson was paying off first round draft capital, 150 receiving yards, finished as a top five wide receiver once again. Death taxes and Justin Jefferson. I mean, Jefferson Jefferson last year, this is the difference between Justin Jefferson and round one. Jefferson, 44% of the time, was a top five wide receiver last year. Compare that to you know, Chris Olave or T. Higgins, who 0% of the time were top five options last year. So there are certainly uh, ceilings to be had uh, with those Chris Olave and T. Higgins picks, but there's not a ceiling for Justin Jefferson. He can continue to go and go and go. And also one more point about Chris Olave. He, he played well week one. Got to hand it to him. He played very well in week one. Set a career high with 118 receiving yards. And still, Chris Olave still set a career high in receiving yards and was still only 112 receiving yards. The wide receiver 10 in PPR. He set career high in receiving yards, had eight receptions, 10 targets, still was just wide receiver 10. Like, that's probably the ceiling for Chris Olave. I mean, he falls in the end zone. Maybe he gets, you know, six more points. 
that would get him into 25, maybe top six. But there's no pathway for Chris Olave to be wide receiver one overall. And he was being drafted mid-round two. You're going to make minimal marginal victory if, even if Chris Olave hits, which was my concern. He had to put up career high numbers for him to just be top 10 this week. So no, like this is Chris Olave was a, was a concern for me, but anyways, let's keep her moving. Um, we were concerned about all tight ends everywhere, but we in particular had a goose egg, a goose egg among tight ends drafted in the top seven. And that was Dallas Goddard. Oh, and Goddard ran all the routes. He played just about all the snaps, but goose egg one target. One singular target for Dallas Goddard. We expect better from Goddard. Uh, the offense was just not functioning very well. It was clearly viewed as one an extension of the preseason. No one was on the right track. Uh, the New England Patriots somehow like <laughs> played their tails off here. Uh, hats off to them. But in tight end premium leagues, Dallas Goddard was tight end five. Or, or round five, tight end seven in most leagues, going behind Waller and Pitts and Kittle. But it's concerning that Goddard did not get off to a strong start, only got one target. Better days ahead, but those Jalen Hurts, Dallas Goddard stacks, were, which were the most popular Philadelphia stack, are really hurting right now and down bad. So we'll see in week two if on Thursday night, which by the way, y'all should check out my Thursday night tailgate that I host right here on player profiler uh, from seven 30 until eight o'clock Thursday nights, East coast tune in. I crushed last week. I told you guys not to play Kadarius Tony and Kadarius Tony like played arguably the worst game of the last five years among wide receivers. And I was trepidatious about Sky Moore. I wasn't as out on Sky Moore as I probably should have been. Uh, but there were people asking me, oh, should I start, you know, Dotson or Sky Moore? And I said, Dotson, right? Uh, people were asking me, Lockett or Sky Moore. And I said, I said, Lockett. But with Dallas Goddard, <laughs> I told people to start Dallas Goddard over Isaiah Likely, and that missed. <laughs> There were very few players I said to play over Isaiah likely if Dallas Goddard was one of them and it did not go very well. So, you know, you win some, you lose some can't win them all, but Dallas Goddard is a player. I do expect to bounce back. It was one of the most drafted Philadelphia stacks uh, ahead of the AJ Brown, Jalen hurts and ahead of the Devonta Smith, Jalen hurts stacks. So Dallas Goddard is a player that I expect to bounce back, but it is concerning. You don't want to be taking zeros from a player that you drafted in round five of your tight end premium leagues. Yikes. Another player that was disappointing in week four, week one is round four, Darren Waller. And oh man, those Darren Waller stands are quiet. Now they're very quiet. Three for 36 and six targets. Walder looked okay on the plays that he on the on the receptions he made, but he's reportedly dealing with that hamstring injury still. And now we're also I'm hearing rumors, unconfirmed, but I'm hearing rumors 
about a nerve issue again with this time Darren Waller. We we heard a couple weeks ago about Cooper Cup and his hamstring slash nerve issue. If that is more of a nerve than muscle issue for Darren Waller, oh man, talk about the middle of your tight end drafts imploding. Kyle Pitts disappointing Darren Waller disappointing Dallas Goddard disappointing George Kittle not doing too much Andrew's not playing Travis Kelsey not playing this was arguably the worst tight end week in NFL history I I I can't remember the last time the tight ends did not produce at all and it's not like some studs came out of nowhere right it was a Hunter Henry who was the the tight end one which by the way for those who are watching, I want you to go back to a couple months ago. There was a video that I, I recorded with Billy Muzio. We were talking tight ends and we were talking quarterbacks. And two things came up. One was uh, one was my trepidation about Patrick Mahomes being a top, the top quarterback. In fact, I had him projected quarterback seven. I didn't rank him there because, you know, rankings and projections are two separate things, but I was a little trepidatious about ranking Pat projecting Patrick Mahomes to be the quarterback one overall. And the other point I had was my concern about Hunter Henry or uh, about uh, Mike Kosicki. And I loved Hunter Henry. I loved Hunter Henry. I had Hunter Henry projected as my tight end 13 and he ends up going five for 56 and the touchdown. I mean, 56 yards led all tight ends. Hunter Henry led all tight ends in receiving yards in receiving yards. And he was third in receptions. We have to remember who Hunter Henry is. He is a first, uh, first round pedigree tight end with no more John U. Smith, who played almost the exact same role. Mike Kosicki doesn't play the tight end role. It's just Hunter Henry. You're like, but Bradley, Mike Kosicki is listed as a tight end. Yeah, but he plays the big slot. Hunter Henry is the only inline tight end of any significance on this New England Patriots offense. And if Mac Jones is going to be pushing the ball down the field, right, especially with Devontae Parker out, Hunter Henry who can catch everything is there. Now, if Hunter, Hunter Henry can stay healthy, that's been one thing that's been getting in his way over the last couple of years. But Henry is poised to return on uh, where, where was he going this off season? I mean, it, it was pretty bad. Tight end 30, even in tight end premium leagues, round 17 Hunter Henry. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I let's go. I wrote him up in a stack article for player profiler just a couple months ago. I said, you know, you want to get Mac Jones stacked with Mike Kosicki and Hunter Henry as pivots. Like Mike Kosicki went as tight end 20 in round 13 and tight end premium leagues on FFPC. Instead, it's Hunter Henry is the arbitrage tight end at tight end 30 round 17. Yeah, give me all of the Hunter Henry paying off based on his pedigree, based on his previous production and based on the opportunity that he was getting. So uh, we like that. I don't think he's going to continue to be, you know, top two, top three tight end. Let's not get carried away. But Hunter Henry is a player that, especially if you are desperate in tight end in the tight end world and, and you're not, you got Travis Kelsey and you're like, I need just a tight end to step in Hunter Henry 
there are worse options. I mean, you could be playing a Greg Dolchich, and that's terrible. Dalton Kincaid, you know, is at least splitting snaps with Dawson Knox, which is what we thought. But, I mean, Gerald Everett split almost 50-50 with Donald Parham, and Everett was went in round 11 in tight end premium leagues. Yeah, Hunter Henry was one of the picks that you should have been picking up on. And, and you, I think it was smart for people to be punting the tight end position. That's what I was saying. Four tight end builds just to rotate through. Because maybe it's not going to be Hunter Henry next week. Maybe it's going to be Noah Fant. Maybe it's going to be Tyler Conklin. Maybe it's going to be Luke Musgrave. Because among leaders in receiving yards, Musgrave was actually number two among all tight ends in receiving yards in week one with 50. He had more than Engram or Higby or Kyle Pitts. So, yeah, late tight end already is giving signs of paying off given how me, how just absolutely decimated early tight end was and how hit or miss the mid tight ends were. I mean, David Njoku didn't play very well. Pat Fryermuth faced a tough matchup week one against San Francisco. Chigakonko, as I said, didn't play well. Irv Smith was a nothing burger, mostly. Jelani Woods in round 15 was is on the IR right now. And Isaiah Likely, oh, oh, you can't get them all right. Isaiah Likely, that crushed me. I was giving so many people, I was giving advice so many people about starting Isaiah Likely in redraft leagues last week. And you know, you can't win them all, but I still thought the process was right. He's a talented player. He fit the profile. And if there was ever a time to start Isaiah Likely, you're going to do it when Mark Andrews is out. You drafted him for that specific scenario. You're not going to not play Isaiah Likely. And you know what? I'll do it again. If Andrews is out, I'll do it again. I'll put him in. I'll also be starting Zay Flowers. We love Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers proved that he's a dog. He led all wide receivers. This is Zay Flowers. Once again, Zay Flowers led all wide receivers in missed tackles forced. Missed tackles forced in week one. Okay. Okay, dude. There we go. (laughs) And was fourth in yards after the catch. So Zay Flowers, once again, paying off at ADP in the back end of round 10. Sometimes you're able to get him round 11. Jameson Williams or Zay Flowers. Oh, it was Zay Flowers all day, baby. It was Zay Flowers all day. And as I like to say, it's better to Zay too much than not Zay what you need to Zay. A couple other players I want to hit on. um, Stacks that disappointed in week one. Of course, Drake London. Drake London and your Desmond Ritter. Ritter only threw the ball 18 times. Drake London also had a zero burger. We, we, we feel the T Higgins zero burger badly, but what many people did in their drafts was start like Christian McCaffrey in round one, Mark Andrews in round two, you stack with Lamar in round three, and then you go like Debo Samuel in round four and Drake London in round five. Woof. Because Jackson Buss, Mark Andrews didn't play. Debo was at best a low-end flex play for you in your best ball leagues. And Drake London, who was expected to be wide receiver too. Yikes. None of those guys. Uh, Drake London did not hit. And so my concern is, 
is that uh, Drake London will continue to be stuck in zero the the zero burger land. He might not get exactly zero, but my concern is that his target share is going to be very very low. What's interesting to me is that Tyler Algier and Bijan Robinson combined they combined for a 52% target share. These are two running backs combining for more than half of the targets. Are you kidding me? That's a major concern. So uh, not just for Jake London, but also for Kyle Pitts, who only had two catches for 44 yards in week one. Sure, Kyle Pitts had 82% of the air yards, but that's meaningless. It's too bad that it's meaningless that Kyle Pitts had 82% of the air yards in this game for the Atlanta Falcons, and it translated to, what, two catches for 44 yards? Nothing. Nothing. As long as Arthur Smith is the head coach for the Atlanta Falcons, and as long as Drake London is still on the Falcons, he is nothing more. Drake London is nothing more than a desperation start, and it's clear that round five Drake London was an extremely risky proposition. I don't think it would be 18 pass attempts, but I was thinking like 24, 25. I think I projected for uh, 28. Maybe I'm wrong, but let me pull up my Atlanta Falcons projections. Uh, Ritter, I had for, what was it? About 30. No, I projected for 30 <laughs> pass attempts per game from Desmond Ritter. We okay we'll take a step back the reason why we should have red flags about drake london and we should have him even when we're thinking about what does this mean for next year what does it mean for next year for 2024 as long as arthur smith is the coach and they're winning enough like arthur smith's not in the hot seat because he won the dang game he had desmond ritter throw the ball 18 times 53 percent of the time to the running backs Tyler Algier and Bijan Robinson handled 84%, is it either 84 or 87% of the touches of skilled players on the Falcons. That is a major red flag for us. It's also it's great for Tyler Algier because Algier was going in the same realm as your in, in the FFPC drafts, he went behind Ty J. Spears. He went around Kenneth Gainwell in round 13, behind Tank Bigsby, behind Kendra Miller, uh, behind you know Devon A-Chain, and behind Jarek McKinnon, right? So Tyler Algier in this offense, I didn't think Algier was going to go away. And in fact, he didn't. This is something that Theo Reminger and I argued about numerous times. And I just said, like, there's no way that Arthur Smith moves away from a player who absolutely crushed for him. Arthur Smith is very loyal, and he also sees when players are doing well, he'll continue to ride them. So, yes, Bijan Robinson is going to be an RB1, but this was my concern heading into the season. As long as Algier continues to produce, and as long as Bijan continues to produce, it's clearly still Bijan, and then Tyler Algier. And then almost nobody else in the offense matters for the Atlanta Falcons. So yes, we should be majorly concerned because the Falcons are going to find ways to win these games in like stupid fashions. 
and it's frustrating for us fantasy managers. So next year as part of our process, I think we need to consider these floor scenarios for teams where they are not only going to run the ball a lot, but if they have effective runners like Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier, like Bijan led all running backs in college last year in PFF rushing grade. Tyler Algier, from the time he started until the end of the season, so like a, about an eight-game span, Algier at the end of the season was among the leaders in the NFL in PFF rush grade and yards after contact per attempt. Guys can't bring down Algier right off the bat. And so I think we need to consider in a, a more holistic view, what is the floor scenario for some of these run-heavy teams and see how that maybe can affect our pass catchers, especially on a week-to-week basis. Also, over the summer, I made a, I did a little um, bell curve comparison chart, um, and I compared Drake London to Rondell Moore and his upside. And I think that you know we're, we're struggling with Rondell Moore, and we're saying, oh, Rondell Moore, oh, he's so bad. Well, he, he didn't have a great week one here. But last year in 2022, there were some spike weeks that were extremely interesting for us. Um, And they matched Drake London, not because Rondell Moore is any better than Drake London. He's not. But it's because of the environment, the scenario, the run first scenario that the Atlanta Falcons are, are implementing this conservative rushing offense. And if Desmond Ritter is only going to throw it 18 to 20 times in a game, then yes, we should be concerned about Drake London, Kyle Pitts, week to week basis, even more so in starting like redraft leagues where you have to make starts to decisions. Like how can you start Drake London this week? How can you do it? I, I don't know, but that's why we play this best ball. Even so we're going to experience some, some heartaches you know, in the best ball leagues. And um, one player that is a heartache for many um, was a heartache, but not for those who were listening to Matt Kelly and Billy Muzio is Quinton Johnson, right? Quinton Johnson operating as the uh, wide receiver four for the LA chargers. So if we look at what the Chargers did, I mean, it was clearly Keenan Allen with nine targets. Mike Williams had to leave this game because of an injury. He ended up coming back in the game, still only five targets, four receptions, played a lot more in the slot. So we have to like what Mike Williams did. But Quinton Johnson in this game, only two catches for nine yards. Josh Palmer had a catch for four yards. Darius Davis had a catch for five yards. The problem is Quinton Johnston did not hit and he's going to continue to play behind Josh Palmer in terms of snaps. And so, I mean, coming up 2.9 fantasy points is not going to get it done for you, especially when we, we were drafting Quinton Johnston in round eight or so. Okay, great. We're going to talk about one more player, and then that's and that's going to be Joe Burrow. I mean, we drafted Joe Burrow in round four. 
Round four, Joe Burrow was hopefully going to stack with our Calvin Ridley, or our, our, our uh, not Calvin Ridley, was going to stack with our T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. But the calf injury clearly has hampered. Oh my gosh. Um, the calf injury has clearly hampered Joe Burrow to drive the ball down the field. And if he's going to be successful at all moving forward, he's going to have to get rest for that calf. He's going to be have to push the ball down the field. We're going to hope for better conditions for the weather. And the, the offensive line for the Bengals is going to have to do better. Now, one of the problems is that like one of the studs, stud offensive linemen for the Bengals, Lyle Collins, they released the Bengals just released him yesterday from the PUP. So he's not even on the team anymore. Um, and we thought that Lyle Collins last year was going to be one of the answers on Joe Burrow's right side to be able to protect him. But instead, we should be conservative in our expectations of Joe Burrow moving forward, even though, you know, we've seen some spike weeks from Burrow. We've seen him get into shootouts with uh, the rest of the division, and we like the division, but unfortunately, with all of the injuries that have happened with how this team has gone about, um, you know, uh, addressing the injuries. I think that Joe Burrow is a player that we need to consider not getting too high up. We spent a lot of draft capital. Imagine getting, you know, Calvin Ridley or you know, looking at round four, round four is actually looking kind of dangerous right now when you were getting Burrow, maybe it's ETN who would have paid off instead in round four, yeah, round four seemed to be like a dead zone. If we're looking back at what happened in round four, ETN went in round four, Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, Calvin Ridley, at least in July, excuse me, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Najee Harris, Christian Watson didn't play in, in week one. I still expect Watson to crush, but my concerns are, actually, uh, my concerns are that is he going to get healthy enough right away? Hamstring injuries can have tendencies to recur. And we remember last year, Watson was dealing with hamstring injuries as well. So I think the Packers are in an interesting position, not only because of that, but if we take a macro view from the Packers organization, they don't have to give up a first round pick this year because Aaron Rodgers did not play 65% of snaps. So there we go. It is uh, a round four. Amari Cooper went there, Darren Waller, DeAndre Hopkins, Kyle Pitts. It was a disaster round four so far. All right. Very, very good. Well, this is a lot of fun, guys. I'm going to be doing this every other week to just recap some of the, the takes and stacks that have been important for us and the storylines that we've been following in the best ball streets over the course of the off season, what decisions we were making, the ADPs, et cetera, talking about what players have been paying off and maybe what players will be rising again. So once again, if you like the content, you found this help, make sure you hit that red subscribe button. You can follow me on Twitter at FF Stalder tomorrow. I'm going to be doing a Thursday night tailgate. Okay. I'm going to be doing a Thursday night tailgate. So hop onto playerprofiler.com They uh, or, and, and check out all the articles that we've been posting, go to the YouTube channel, and then we've got a special Wednesday recording that Tara Roberts um, is doing for Player Profiler every week. And Tara is an amazing, amazing fantasy analyst. She is a new addition to the Player Profiler team. She, Her podcast, Dear Miss Fantasy, is our mailbag. And she does a phenomenal job answering our mailbag questions. She's so thoughtful. She's very funny. 
And I really encourage you guys check out, listen to her. She is, is she was the Mike Taglieri uh, rising star in the fantasy um, in the fantasy industry. She was the winner this past year. So she's got a lot of awesome things to say. You should listen to her. Check her out on dear miss fantasy. Tara's great. Check out my Thursday night tailgate. Make sure you guys are subscribing, hit that red subscribe button. And until next time, everyone, good luck in the best ball streets. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.